Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Royally Us. Mandy DeCamp here. Um, Joe is obviously out this week and Christina is still on maternity leave, but I'm joined by the lovely Molly Mulshine. Hi, Molly. How are you? Hi, Mandy. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Just staying cool inside. It is too hot to go outside this week. All right, so there's been a lot of royal updates since last week, so let's get to our royal roundup. Um, first up is Prince William. Um, he spoke out against the racist abuse of soccer players that he witnessed during the Italy versus England game on Sunday. Um, after missing penalty kicks during the Euro 2020 final, three England p- players were attacked online with slurs, harassing remarks. Um, and on Monday night, Prince William took to Twitter. He said, I'm sickened by the racist abuse aimed at the England players after last night's match. It is totally unacceptable that the players have to endure this abhorrent behavior. It must stop now and all those involved should be held accountable. He signed the tweet with a W showing that this did not come from Kensington Palace. This came from him personally, which means he really means this. Um, We, of course, know that he serves as the Football Association president in England. Prince Charles and Duchess of Cornwall also tweeted. So they chimed in saying, recognizing the rich diversity of cultures, which make this country so special and in many ways unique, lies at the heart of what can we can be as a nation. Well done, England, on your fantastic Euro 2020 performance. You made us proud. So what do you think about this? What do you think about him chiming in here and speaking up? I mean, I kind of think the same way everyone on Twitter thinks, which is where was this energy when a lot of racist things were being said about Meghan Markle? Mm -hmm. You know, that seems to be sort of the prevailing narrative. And I think Harry has even said in his CBS interview that just hearing the royal family publicly acknowledge the racism that she went through would be enough for him to sort of forgive them. Not that they've apologized that we know of, but, yeah. you know, it, it is striking the difference between his response to racist trolls with Megan and racist trolls with the football team. So what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I think um, it's, it's great that he's speaking up period. You know, I think that the remarks were absolutely horrible. They needed to be spoken about and I love that he signed it with a W, making this more personal, making this like, hey, everyone, I'm speaking to you directly. You know, 
human to human. Um, but I agree in that. Where was this for Meghan Markle? And, you know, do they need to address that? Like, do they need to now say, you know, I know what Megan said during the big interview and I also need to address that. Um, right. I think there's also the argument that at this point, William can't really win because if he didn't say anything, then people would be angry. And the fact that he did say something, people are angry that it's maybe too too late or misplaced. So it's just a really messy situation overall. And I don't, I don't know what his, you know, PR advice should be. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's time will tell, you know, I think if he continues this, if it's not just about, not that I'm not to say just about the England players, but if it goes beyond that, if he starts, you know, talking about anti-racism in other ways and, and helping and doing things to help, um, then I think, I think it will just be time will tell, you know, let's see what else he does or says Mm -hmm. next up. Um, it was a very sport filled weekend for the Royals. Um, so following Kate's isolation after being exposed to someone who had tested positive for coronavirus, the Duchess had um, went to Wimbledon with William and her father before the soccer game. Um, she attended another match with her father, like I said, Michael. Um, and this marks her first appearance since being exposed to COVID-19. Um, she had been exposed on Monday, July 5th, they had to- they had said. Um, and at the time, she removed herself and from any other events and decided to self-isolate. So what do you think? Is it too soon for her to be out without a mask? I'm assuming she followed the protocol that you're supposed yeah. to follow, but it was what, only like five days? No, it wasn't long. It wasn't long. I mean, she is vaccinated. We know that. So and I'm, I feel like she probably got tested 10 times in the last five days. <laughs> so I trust Kate. Right. <laughs> I trust her, but I'm also flashing back to when I last traveled home and returned to the UK and the amount of time I had to spend in my house and the tests I had to pay for. And I'm like, Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, maybe I would have worn a mask, <laughs> you know, just to like that, add that extra layer of, of caution, but she did look amazing. I mean, I would, her outfits are just stunning and she certainly didn't look bad. She looked beautiful. She looked healthy and I wanted to be at Wimbledon. Did you, did you get near it at all? No, I actually had tickets for the outdoor area, but the weather report was so touch and go all weekend that we decided not to go because we figured that it might rain. But, you know, something really interesting about the UK is that, and I might catch flack for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. A lot of people are not that into wearing masks. And Mm. I think in the U.S., everyone assumes that in Europe, people are taking it more seriously. But from what I've seen, there's not been a ton of mask wearing throughout the whole pandemic. And now, you know, our Freedom Day is on next Monday. So we're allowed to not wear masks anymore. But just throughout the entire pandemic, the mask wearing has been very touch and go. And it's surprising to me because no one talks about it. Yeah, I know a little bit because my sister's in France, so she has expressed kind of a similar thing there to me. Um, but yeah, people are pretty, even now with the mandates lifted, people are still wearing them. Like I'll go to stores that says it's it's voluntary if you have been vaccinated. Um, and most people have them on still. 
to the point where like, if I have it off because it says, you know, I'm vaccinated and it's, um, it says I don't have to, I actually ended up putting it back on. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be the one person not wearing it, <laughs> you right. know? It's so interesting how it all just kind of depends on what everybody around you is doing and like the yeah. social norms of where yeah. you are. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So like I said, it's basically a sports filled episode. Um, our next topic is how Meghan Markle supported Naomi Osaka after she left the French Open for mental health reasons. So the 23 year old wrote a personal essay for Time magazine in which she said, um, life is a journey. In the past few weeks, my journey took an unexpected path, but one that has taught me so much and helped me grow. I learned a couple of key lessons. Lesson one, you can never please everyone. When I said I needed to miss the French Open press conferences to take care of myself mentally, I should have been prepared for what unfolded. So after she announced she was um, not doing press, she then decided to just completely withdraw from the French Open. Um, she went on to note that she suffered bouts of depression for the last three years. So she said that Meghan Markle was one of the people who had reached out and sent their support to her, along with Michelle Obama, Michael Phelps, Steph Curry. So the Duchess um, has obviously long been an advocate for mental health awareness. She's noted in the past that she was ashamed um, to talk about her struggles with Harry, um, who has been vocal about his mental health since he lost his mom in 1997. Um one thing that Megan had said is I just didn't want to be alive anymore. And that was very clear and real and frightening and a constant thought. So, I mean, she's such a great advocate for this. Um, she, I truthfully didn't know about this story until we wrote about it on us weekly. Um, Cause I don't follow the French open surprisingly. Um, but it's nice that she is finding these stories that aren't, you know, that well known everywhere and making them more well-known because she's a part of them. You know what I mean? Like, this is a story I would have never heard of if Megan hadn't commented. Um, so I like that. I like that she's finding it, finding ways to help without doing it so openly, but then it becomes worldwide news. Right. Yeah. I actually didn't know that she had reached out to Naomi. I just knew about it because of all of the kerfuffle around it online and, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the, it just became such a huge news story that, you know, people yeah. were angry at her for withdrawing. Yeah. And it's like, first of all, why get angry about anything related to tennis or any sport? It's right. supposed to be fun. Right. You know, right. even at the most elite level, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not somebody saying, actually, I'm not going to cure cancer this week. It's just somebody saying, I'm not going to play tennis this week. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nice that she that Megan reached out to her and that they sort of, I'm sure we're able to have a conversation about that. And it'll be interesting to see if they collaborate in the future at all. Mm -hmm. It will be. Okay. In lighter Royal news, I love this news story. So Rob Lowe um, lives in California near Megan and Harry. He recently told E! News that once the Royals move into your neighborhood, the neighborhood is going, never going to be the same. He's referring um, to Montecito where they all live. Um, he said, the good news is property values go up the bad news is there's longer lines at Starbucks. <laughs> I love this. I mean, first of all, I would love Rob Lowe or Prince Harry as my neighbors. So maybe I need to move to Montecito. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about this? It's really funny. I But I did also see a, um, sort of an investigation that someone uh -huh. did. They went to the Starbucks and interviewed them. And they actually said they've never seen Rob Lowe before. I so <laughs> maybe, maybe he's sending an assistant and the assistant is saying the lines are longer at Starbucks. Montecito has so many famous residents 
It is a little surprising to me that Meghan and Harry would be the ones that push that Starbucks line over the top. Yeah. But I guess maybe there's more people that are kind of getting their stock on and just wanting to get a little peep at any royal activity. So it's funny. I mean, I can't say I've never taken the long way into Hyde Park to walk by Buckingham Palace and see if anyone's outside, you know, like we, it's kind of natural. Like we all do it a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, we interview celebrities all the time and it's so different seeing them outside of the studio it's like seeing them in the wild. I've like, you know, seen people in this city, in New York City, and I saw Shia LaBeouf once and I was like, I think I followed him for three blocks because I was like, I just need to see where he's going. <laughs> you know, so it's like, <laughs> there's definitely, there's something cool about seeing them out. Um, but granted, do Megan and Harry really pick up their own Starbucks? I mean, I, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I almost think that kind of thing would have been easier for them living in Kensington Palace or like in the British countryside because people are really like fiercely protective of, you know, not giving up where they go. Whereas yeah. in California, I feel like, you know, we've we're always on Dumois looking at like who's been spotted and sighted and everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I would assume that in California it would be a little more of a risk, but yeah. They also said in interviews that now they feel a lot more normal. So maybe they do go to Starbucks. Maybe they do. I wonder what they order. I'd love to know. I'm going to go with, I think she gets a cold brew. <laughs> I could see that hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for our next Royal news topic, we're bringing in British journalist, Jonathan Sasha Doty um, to spill all the royalty with us. Jonathan, welcome to Royally Us. Good to be with you again. How are you doing? Good, good. So I want to get right into this story. So a source has exclusively revealed to Us Weekly that Prince William and Prince Harry's relationship is on the mend after they reunited for the unveiling of the statue they commissioned for their mother. The source told us William and Harry spent the morning before the statue unveiling, looking through old keepsakes, notes from Diana and bonding. They have absolutely turned a new page in their relationship and have started the healing. Everyone around them was thrilled to see how close they were on the day of the statue unveiling. The insider added that tensions have eased also between Megan and Kate. Kate even sent Megan a gift for the baby. They're in a better place, have exchanged text messages since the birth of Lilibet. So, you know, nothing brings people together like babies, right? But so we have Jonathan here to give his professional opinion on this. What do you think? Is, is the Royal Rift a thing of the past, Jonathan? Well, it's certainly hard for any of us to know what goes on behind closed doors. And they really exercised extreme control over the media at that event. Uh, They didn't give live pictures to anybody. The pictures were recorded and then released a little bit later within, I think, an hour of the actual event taking place. There was virtually nobody there. They said, of course, it was because of the coronavirus restrictions. Uh, And so it was a very low key event, really. Uh, And there was absolutely no chance of anything being shown or seen or recorded that they didn't want to be released to the world. So on that basis, you can tell that obviously tensions were very high and there was perhaps some fear of not knowing what would happen. And there'd also been some rumors in the press that Harry had refused to give this text of the speech he was going to give to anybody to check. And in the end, there were no speeches. So again, it's hard to know if that was just a baseless rumor or if perhaps that's why there were no speeches. No, Nobody really knows. 
The two did look relaxed when they were in Kensington Palace in the gardens at the unveiling of the statue. And so one might assume that they had some discussions in private. And again, it would have been a very good time to do that, to be able to look through treasures that they've kept from their mother that remind them of Diana, and also perhaps to rebuild some of that brotherly connection. So you'll remember that Prince Harry in the big interview did say that the relationship between the two brothers was one of space, but he thought that in time they could repair it and build something. So maybe it is the beginning of that. I will say though, that from my own personal perspective, my guess would be that there's a lot of bridge building to be done. And even if they did manage to be civil and loving to one another in that context, and, and if they can't manage it then on the anniversary of Diana's death, when else are they going to manage it? But I think there's far more bridge building to do here. And the fact that Meghan and Harry so constantly seem to be interested in giving interviews which attack the royal family over and over again or betray confidences means that it's very unlikely anyone in the family will say anything that they are not willing perhaps to see repeated in rumors and gossip columns around the world. So they may have been polite with one another, they may have tried to mend things, but sometimes rifts are very difficult things to fix. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think going so public with that interview that they did added such another layer of difficulty that they're going to have to come back from. You know, it's one thing to have private rifts or fights with your siblings. I mean, I think we've all probably done it, but then to have it so public, how do you come back for that from that? You know, it's it's going to be a, a long road, I think, for the brothers. And, and as I've always said, you know, on, on your show here in particular, it's it's definitely the case that there are the dynamics of a normally of a normal family having an argument here. And as you say, many of us have experienced things like that and know how difficult it is to, to make up. Sometimes it's too too difficult because too much has been said and done. But this is doubly difficult because it's the royal family and they have a constitutional and historical importance as well. So even if they're willing to forgive and forget on a personal level, if they're seen as attacking the actual institution of the monarchy, it's not going to be so simple for the family members who are still working royals to allow them to continue with without any kind of consequences. No, that's a great point. It is. It's not really just up to them. <laughs> the whole country has to forgive them and their fans and, you know, they everyone has to be on board with that. Jonathan, do you think that this new page that they may be turning is because neither the brothers nor their wives can handle just the stress of the media anymore and all of the speculation about their relationships? I don't imagine that is the case because I think it's one of the requirements of, of either job, that's royalty or celebrity, to be able to deal with the so-called pressures of the press. And remember, these people live extremely privileged lives where they have extreme control over what's seen about them, even if occasionally there's a breach in that armour that allows us to see something they didn't quite want. No, in reality, whether you're royalty or whether you're lapsed royalty, let's say, living in the States, you can control what people are saying and seeing in the newspapers, in magazines, on television. And they are playing this game certainly on the part of Meghan and Harry, uh, for their benefit. They are feeding this gossip machine constantly. And the royal family as well relies on a certain amount of coverage and nurturing this uh, image, really, that Great Britain and, and uh, the Commonwealth should really adore them, should feel affectionate and warm towards them. And so both sides 
are using the media and the press and us. We're here discussing them. You know, you have this show specifically dedicated to royalty. It's, it's because it's so important to the royal family that they have this image around the world that serves their continuity. So I think that the pressures, as you put it, on them from the press are very unlikely to be something that they can't deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see the family a year from now? We were talking earlier, me and Molly, about, you know, do you think William and Kate are going to make a trip to California and we'll see them all at Disneyland together? Are they going to spend Thanksgiving together? Do you think that we're going to see them finally kind of reunite and not just the brothers? Well, when Harry and Meghan left the UK as working royals and, and then left, you know, the whole country, it was on a trial basis. And there was talk that even if they did decide to make a life away from Great Britain and away from the royal family, there would be, you know, polite and loving even relations where they would come back. There was some talk at some point that Harry might like to come back uh, with or without Meghan and still carry on some of his royal duties, uh, though, of course, that was quickly snuffed out by the Queen herself, who, who put out that statement, rather right. snubbing them in that idea of being able to serve uh, without being working royals. Uh, so I would say that it's perhaps unlikely that they're going to be spending what we would think of as quality family time together at Christmas and New Year or birthdays. I mean, just remember that the Queen hasn't met her latest granddaughter. It doesn't seem right. likely that she's going to anytime soon. She's barely seen Archie for quite a while. So again, on a human family level, forget them being the royal family, there's already quite some frostiness and distance there. Uh, so I suspect if things can go well, maybe they'll have the occasional meeting, but I don't think it seems very high on anyone's agenda. We wanted to also break down the royal rules while we have you. So Prince Charles will be able to hand out his late father, Prince Philip's title, Duke of Edinburgh, when he's king. But the question is, can he and will he pass his father's title on to his brother, Prince Edward? The Sunday Times had reported that a friend of Charles said it is up to him what happens to the title. It will not go to Edward. So can you just break down how this works for us? Yeah, that, that's right. The Sunday Times reported that royal insiders were suggesting Charles was planning not to pass on the title, the Duke of Edinburgh, to his brother Edward, as had apparently been the wish of his father, Prince Philip, who was the Duke of Edinburgh himself until he died in April. And upon his death, Charles inherited that title. But when he becomes king eventually, and he is next in line to the throne after his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, that title will merge with the crown. And he has to then decide if he passes it along to another member of the family uh, or if he just puts it in abeyance for the time being. Back in 1999, when Prince Edward married his wife, Sophie, a statement from Buckingham Palace announced that the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh and the Prince of Wales had agreed that Prince Edward should be given that dukedom, the Dukedom of Edinburgh, in due course, as they put it, uh, when the title that was then held by Prince Philip would eventually revert to the crown, they said. So now Edward himself has commented just last month in an interview, and he said of that very idea that it would be a bittersweet role to take on because, of course, the title can only come to him after both his parents have passed away, both Prince Philip, who now has passed away, and Her Majesty the Queen. Prince Philip is said to have wanted the role to continue when uh, Prince Andrew married 
uh, Sarah Ferguson, he he became the Duke of York. That was back in 1986. So that left only Prince Edward to whom they could pass it on, uh, because of course Charles will eventually become the king and therefore not the Duke of Edinburgh anymore. So the Sunday Times quoted a friend of Charles as saying that it's up to him what happens to the title. And this friend that they quoted said it won't go to Edward. Uh, another source confirming that according to the newspaper. But Prince Charles's spokesperson has said that it's too early to discuss this and that no decisions have been made, suggesting that it was disrespectful even to Her Majesty the Queen to even talk about it now. Uh, and of course, uh, Buckingham Palace refrained to comment when they were asked. Well, thank you as always, Jonathan. It was It's such a pleasure having you on Royally Us and we will see you next time. Take care. Finally, we have to get to my favorite segment of the show, Pint Size Palace, which is all about the little royal kiddos. Um, so some adorable photos were taken of Prince George this weekend at the England-Italy soccer match that we already spoke about. Um, there's a clip of him laughing and clapping as the home team scored a goal. And he cheered as he cheered on the athletes, he looked back at his dad and they shared in their mutual excitement. Um, it was so adorable, too cute. They're, he's really proving that the Royals are just like us. They just want to enjoy a good soccer game. Yeah, it was so cute to see their body language, the three of them as a family sort of cheering together. And then they were sort of consoling him when England lost. It was really, really sweet to see that they just seem like a legitimately affectionate and close family. They do. I think that they really make an, every effort that they can to give these kids a sense of normalcy, um, which I'm sure is basically impossible for them. But, you know... It's it's nice. And he's just so adorable. And he seems to be growing up so cute. I can't wait to see what these kids look like when they're like teenagers because they're all so good looking. <laughs> yeah, they are really just so cute. And it was also very interesting to see that because we know that William and Kate are never really that physically affectionate in public. Yeah. So yeah. it seems like they don't have that role for their kids, which is really yeah. and really, you know, nice. It's really sweet. It's really sweet. All right. So that's it for another episode of Royally Us. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Mandy. Bye, guys. <laughs>